Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. My name is Curtis Kopotic, and I am your host, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. And today we are going to be talking with Kathy Seabrook. Hey, Curtis. I hope our listeners have as much fun listening to our interview as we had when we did our interview with Kathy. She is a former ASSP president and also is really passionate about safety and health sustainability. That's right. So sustainability, whenever we hear that that word. It's a pretty popular buzzword. We usually think about environmental sustainability of a company, but really the definition of business sustainability is a sustainable business is an enterprise that has minimal negative impact or potentially a positive effect on the global or local environment, community, society, or economy. Yeah, she definitely focuses in on that community and and society aspect of sustainability. So have a listen to our conversation. So, Kathy, we're going to be talking about sustainability. Now, typically when people hear the word sustainability, automatically they go to, you know, the environment or maybe something with recycling. So you're here today to talk to us about how sustainability relates to the workforce. So can you tell us a little bit more about the sustainability in the workforce? Absolutely. First of all, it's great to be here today with you guys. And thanks to uh, Fit for Work for this opportunity to join you and to have this conversation about sustainability and corporate responsibility. So if we think about what has happened over the past 10 years in this evolution of sustainability, which to your question has always been the environment, it has evolved and it is involved because of the stakeholders, which is what we're going to talk about today. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about a company that is sustainable over time, they are involved in sustainable development. Their ethos is around corporate responsibility. That is the environment. But it now also includes social aspects, um, which are communities, which are people working in organizations, which are relationships, if you will, with businesses or companies and their stakeholders, their shareholders, their customers, for example. And so in this, this evolution, this concept of people working in organizations, some organizations call them their talent. Investment community talks about the human aspect, that human capital side of a business that creates value. Workers, employees, depending on where you are in the world. And this whole concept and this evolution of sustainability, corporate responsibility, extends beyond environment now. All the stakeholders, which we'll talk about as we progress today, to kind of level set everyone with this concept that people are at the core of every thriving business. And at the end of the day, it's their ability to contribute to the business is influenced by their safety, their health, and their well-being. And we are seeing this with the events that have happened with COVID um, and the idea of the value of people, whether they are healthcare workers, whether they're emergency services, where whether they're companies who are having to think on the fly and retool, refit, innovate in order to create new products and services, some specifically in the pandemic that we have had and are going through and perhaps will have in the future. You know, we don't have a crystal ball, but Ford Motor Company, for example, they completely retooled so they could um, manufacture ventilators instead of cars. Other companies have retooled to be able to provide and manufacture face masks or 
alcohol and other medicines during this time of a pandemic, um, specifically in terms of COVID. So this concept of sustainability is that a company can't be resilient in the face of crisis and or day-to-day operations unless they are looking at the value that's created by their people. And that's really what we're here to talk about today. So instead of just sustainability of stuff, it's sustainability of being at this location and how the employees are reacting to the setting that they're being placed in? So it's the sustainability of the company itself over time. So the long-term ability for that company to function, they cannot do that without their people. I like that stuff piece because when we think of stuff, we think of things, we think of assets such as financials, right? We think of the machinery, we think of the equipment, we think of the vehicles that take our salespeople throughout the world, literally selling the product or service of the company. But the concept of sustainability is a company to be resilient over time. And you can't have that without the people working in the organization. And And they can't contribute unless they're safe, they're healthy, and they have a sense of well-being. And the key here isn't just to do the work. The key here, and this is where the value is created with people and organizations, it's that discretionary energy. It's that sense of a person will be willing to provide their employer with 80%, right? You're going to get 80% of me and you're going to get it, you know, consistently. But if I love my work, if I feel safe and healthy and I have a sense of well-being in my work, I believe my employer actually cares about me and cares about what we're doing, that discretionary energy, that remainder 20%, they're going to get it. And that's where the magic happens. That's where the innovation happens. That's where the creativity happens because people are truly engaged. And you mentioned assets and goes on to financials for me and the kind of paperwork. You've also mentioned that, you know, that we're going to be talking about stakeholders too. So let's tie all of those things together here. And it's sounding more like these are kind of intangible sustainability things that we're talking about today, not necessarily those things that are listed on the asset or financial sheets. So why would it be important that we're talking about sustainability in that realm as far as it's not necessarily a financial risk? And why do the stakeholders care about it? Why is this something we need to be reporting? Great question. So Amber, when you, when you, you and Curtis asked me to talk with you today, I thought, okay, so what's the purpose? And when I really think about this, I said, yes, I really wanted to be here to talk to you because really it's about raising the level of the understanding for safety and health professionals. It's understanding the business environment in which they are operating. And your question ties absolutely right into that whole concept of the business. If we think about the boards of directors and you think about your C-suites, specifically your CEO and the um, chief financial officers, and if your company has a chief sustainability officer or corporate responsibility leader, if you will, within the organization, they are thinking about the broader concept of stakeholders. So there's a couple concepts I just wanted to share and want to simplify as possible because I think that every safety and health professional needs to understand concepts of materiality and what does that mean? And then also just the idea of financial and non-financial risk and impacts 
to a business because that's what the business leaders, that's what the investment community is looking at. So if I can kind of sort of start this by talking about very recently, the U.S. Business Roundtable came forward. Uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the chair and CEO of JP Morgan, who is also the chair of the uh, U.S. Business Roundtable, they came forward to talk about what is the purpose of a company. And traditionally, the concept of a purpose of a company is keep their shareholders happy. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about stock price. It's about market capitalization. So it's about alignment. And also now understanding what are some of the trends, which to your question, Amber, is where is this going? What is this sustainability, right? The financial aspects of a company. And that's all reported publicly if they're a publicly traded company, not private. It's all publicly available information. It's available because the investment community wants to know, are they a good bet? They want to know, is this a good risk or not? And should we invest in them? So that's sort of like market 101. How does this translate now to this concept of non-financials, as Amber, if you, as you've talked about or asked the question on? And the non-financials are, that's the space where this concept of sustainability and see corporate responsibility falls. There are a lot of terms out there. One of the terms that's really taken root is the, it's called ESG environment, social, and governance, investing. And it's this concept that this is how you define sustainability now. And this is what the markets are looking at. This is what the general stakeholders are looking at. So let me backtrack and talk about the U.S. Business Roundtable and Jamie Dimon. Purpose of a company. Traditionally, it's the shareholders, which is what we've talked about. And their their interest in the past has only been around the financials of a company. With sustainability and ESG or environment, social and governance, quote unquote investing, but the concepts of this is what's included. These are the metrics that determines whether a company is sustainable. They have a good corporate responsibility ethos includes things such as the environment, which is non-financial impacts that actually could, and I say impacts, could impact the company. And I'll get to materiality in just a second. The company itself from an environmental perspective, a social perspective, looking at communities, looking at their customers, looking at relationships, looking at reputation in terms of brand loyalty, thinking about people. And many of my safety and health colleagues don't like the concept of human capital, but it really is. It's, it's the workers, it's the people, it's, it's the human side of a company. And it's talent to some companies and they're looking to manage their talent. Well, how well they do that is the world of the safety and health professionals and connecting those dots, making sure that there's an alignment with this understanding of this non-financials as well as the financials, both all, I should say, create value for a company. And remember the value we talked about is the value in terms of that market capitalization, right? That value, market capitalization. So that's the language of business. That is the context of business. So there has been so much work that is being done. And I will tell you, this is not revolutionary. This has been evolutionary over the past 10 plus years, and it's taken a long time. But here's where we are today. So we talked about the purpose of a company, and we talked about the U.S. Business Roundtable. The other piece to that Business Roundtable is these aren't just a bunch of people getting together and, you know, kind of throwing things against the wall and trying to figure out what the trends are. These are 181 CEOs of some of the largest companies in the United States, companies such as Coca-Cola, Pfizer, cross-industry sector, Walgreens, Apple, BlackRock. But there's 121 of CEOs. This 
is what they're saying. This is what they believe that there's this expansion, that the purpose of a company is no longer just about uh, shareholders. It's about the shareholders, but it's also about the other stakeholders. And so they've really broken this open. And this has just happened in the past earlier part of the year. And it's so important because workers are considered, they're actually outlined, they are considered one of those stakeholders specific to that U.S. Business Roundtable. They are actually listed out as well as communities um, and the environment in which people work. It's just really important to have that business context. Right. Well, for sure. And to get that background is wonderful. And it seems like a great mindset shift, you know, where 150 years ago, the last thing you cared about was your employees because there was a dime a dozen of them. But to hear that people are caring about that is really powerful and positive to hear. It's almost like I remember listening on the radio, they were talking about business and how some countries are going away from caring about the GDP and looking at G. HP, where it's, you know, global happiness production, where it's like they're more caring about what is the, how's the happiness and with that comes productivity and as well as greater financial, as long as they care, taking the human considerations as well. So how does the business performance related to that value and contribution of the employee, like what can these businesses expect when they put this effort into their employees? So Curtis, I love that, uh, the GHP. I've read about that as well. And if you think about that relatability, that GHP is the well-being concept of somebody working in, in, in a company, you know, that it, which releases that discretionary energy that I talked about, which ties into exactly what you said, the productivity, right? And in productivity, in the past, we always think about how many widgets can we get out the door? But that's not the only measure anymore. It's about innovation. Every company is looking at disruption, right? And the concept of disruption basically means a quantum leap forward, not just incremental increases or improvements, if you will, in productivity. So, you know, it's a game changer looking at well-being. And this is not 100%. This is, again, a trend. And the forward-thinking companies are really looking at the well-being and that concept of, I'm not sure they label it the happiness factor, but definitely it's the same thing. So I just want to switch gears into your question because you talked about value and the people bringing value. And I wanted to just mentioned that the SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now, health and safety folks, we're used to OSHA, right? The Occupational Health and Safety Administration, and they provide all the rules and regulations around workplace safety and health, what you should be wearing in terms of personal protective equipment. And in the world of COVID, right, we all know about our masks and administrative controls, such as washing your hands many, many times during the day, face masks, face guards, and looking at different, if you will, regulations to control the safety and health of people working in organizations. The SEC is the regulator for the financial markets. And in the past, they would not be looking, or they were not looking at, they were only focused on the financials. And the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, this is sort of ongoing. They had a proposed ruling on human capital reporting or disclosures, as the markets call them. And this concept of disclosure means what are the metrics? What are the things that are material to your company? Now, all my fellow safety and health professionals out there should be going, ah, risk. I know that word. We keep talking about the language of business. So the concept of materiality is something that's rooted in the markets. And it's well, the Supreme Court actual ruling basically gave a firm definition of what materiality is, but it's been expanded in the world. So I'm just going to talk about the concept of a risk to a business, an impact that the business could have. And in our case, we're talking about the non-financials of environment, of social, and our case, human people, the workers and their health and safety, and then the governance of the organization. If we're looking at that 
an organization reports, they can do it through a sustainability report, corporate responsibility report, or they can integrate it into the and it's called integrated reporting, integrated into their annual financial report, which there's rules around that. So a company, the SEC in the United States says you have to report your financials. Well, the SEC now, because of the investor, their investor advisory group has said, you know, the world has changed. And now this is in writing in their proposed ruling that people create value. And Curtis, to your point, people create value in an organization in the classic sense. And Amber, you brought this up in the beginning as well. Um, the classic sense, it's always been people are cost. You know, we went through all of the downsizing, right sizing, re-engineering, all the words of the past because it's about cutting costs. And there are companies right now in the midst of COVID looking at just cutting costs. And so they're letting go of their people. And the companies that are the smartest are the ones that are looking at the value the people bring in relationships, in innovation, in disruption in getting products and services out the door. So that concept of materiality is something that's so important for safety and health professionals because materiality basically means that it needs to be reported, that impact, that risk, and how well it's controlled. So for example, employee or worker health and safety could be a material risk, but it's the company that determines whether it's material. And the litmus test or the test, if you will, for materiality is if in this case in the United States, if an investor were to have that information, would it impact their decision-making as to, in this case, as to whether or not they purchase your company stock or not? And that is what materiality is. So for us and this whole raising the bar today is to, uh, and understanding the business environment in which we're operating, it's really, really important that we as health and safety professionals really understand this value creation of people working in organizations, uh, this concept of materiality, because at the end of the day, it's about alignment. And if we can get our initiatives, if we can have those conversations with the leadership, talking the same language of risk, talking the same language of alignment on well-being, health, safety of people working in the organizations creating value, then we're all going in the same direction. And I'm talking about the entire company. And that alignment is crucial. It's absolutely crucial to that. Are you at the place in your life when you are looking for a company that makes differences, especially in their employees' lives? You know, Fit for Work is a company built around the people. Their culture is one of the key differentiators. If this sounds like something that you are interested in, head over to our website, wellworkforce.com. Click on the careers button and have a look at some of our current open positions all across the United States. So it's sounding a little bit like this reporting of these non-financials, you know, that, that we've already discussed and, and the reporting of this sustainability isn't just uh, pretty ribbons and bows to get people, you know, say, hey, look at me, but it's actually something that the SEC is requiring nowadays. Is that, am I hearing you correctly? So they're not requiring it. Okay. I always say the word yet because the, it's the market forces right now. They're asking questions. They're saying, hmm, because it's the investors in that investor relations committee that have said, we need to be thinking about human capital. So Amber, this, that's a really, really good point to clarify. And this is why safety and health professionals really need to be understanding the business environment in which they're operating. And in this case, it is about understanding this alignment between between human capital, between
between the investors and corporates to be able to understand what is required, the reality of all the sustainability. And so your question is even more important is that this is all voluntary right now today, and it has been, but you'll go out and you'll see some very forward-thinking companies that have been at the head of the curve, companies like Intel, for example, Campbell Soup, L'Oreal, that have been leaders in sustainability and corporate responsibility, Nike, over a long period of time because they have already acknowledged, they already understand the value of people. So, you know, there's what I call the wind in the sails and the wind in the sails are market forces. So when we talk about stakeholders, we talk about investors, but we're also talking about your customers. We're talking about your suppliers, your supply chain, uh, the contractors that come on site, including anything that's um, outsourced, which could be facilities management, for example, to manufacturing a component for a piece of equipment. Or for example, if you decide you want to buy a brand new oven, being a consumer. So you call up the to local store and they say, okay, yes, this is fine. We can get you your oven. We absolutely can install. But in fact, they don't do the installation. They outsource that installation. So that's also part of the supply chain. That's also part of the concept of people and workers and whether or not they are fit for work to be able to provide the service for that company that you bought your oven from. They want to make sure that from their reputation perspective, from their customer service perspective, from the brand loyalty perspective, that everyone in their supply chain is all aligning, moving in the same direction. So good question. So it's not mandatory that they're reporting, but it's always good to get something out there. What's a measurement stick or how can somebody, what are some things to put out there? What is something to measure through managing the occupational and safety health performance of a company? Companies are looking at the concept of sustainability as a competitive advantage. So if my customer, for example, is publicly traded and I'm a privately owned company, so family owned company, for example, if that were the case and my customers and my largest customers are publicly traded and they want to make sure that they're I being a supplier, right? I be part of the, the supply chain and they've outsourced whatever my product and service is. It's about me, my company getting the work versus the next company. It's a competitive advantage. So if I'm aligned on sustainability and corporate responsibility, I'm taking care of my people. I have a system to manage my risks for safety and health, for my people, and I can communicate that. And I'm looking at other non-financial, such as quality, such as environmental impacts, and I'm managing them and I'm communicating that typically in my well, annual financial report and or in my sustainability or CSR report. So I'm, as the community would say, disclosing that information, then my suppliers hear it, all of my stakeholders. I am being transparent. And at the end of the day, that's really what is, I guess, underlying that wind in the sails is underlying all of this work is transparency. And investors want transparency. Customers want transparency. General consumers, if you're a consumer products company, they want transparency. They want to buy products from a company that is actually making sure their supply chain is being taken care of. They don't want to buy products from a company that's not taking care of the well-being of their people. And I'm talking anywhere in the world, including developing countries. So that kind of talks about like the why. And Amber, to your point on talking about the metrics, there's there's two pieces, two entities that I think are really, really important in this conversation. And these are the standard setters. So the standard setters in this world of sustainability. And again, remembering today, right now, the company determines what's material to them, what their material risks are, and they determine what they're going to disclose. And that's how it is today. And so it's 
SASB, which is the Sustainability uh, Accounting Standards Board. And the original chair of that board was Mike Bloomberg. And Mary Shapiro, who was the former chair of the SEC, was the original vice chair. And when it started, it was for, was to provide these metrics, to provide what should be disclosed in our world we call KPIs, if you will, the measurements um, within sustainability reports. And so that's SASB. And they, right now, I just want to kind of put a plug in for SASB. We just had a webinar on human capital. And in that human capital, SASB was part of it. And they are in the midst of putting together and doing research on human capital, determine the concepts of where is that going? You know, what are investors looking at? And what is the direction and what should the metrics be? So that kind of gives you a sense you know, it's on their radar too, and they're setting standards. The other entity is the Global Reporting Initiative. And the Global Reporting Initiative, which is GRI, as it's known by, they have a GRI 403 Occupational Health and Safety Standard. Why is this important? Well, this is the broad view on what those metrics, Amber, that you've asked about. What is it that companies should actually be reporting? What should they be measuring and then disclosing transparently in their sustainability corporate responsibility or integrated reports. And I'm just here to tell you, I was part of the GRI 403 standard development group. And the standard that came out is extremely thorough in the identification of what health and safety risks, what are they? How should you measure it? Should you be looking at lost work time days? And should you be just looking backward or should you be looking forward? I'm very happy to say that, you know, one of the metrics is, does your organization have an occupational health and safety management system standard, which is proactive. It's the idea of identifying, assessing, measuring, verifying, and improving risk and risk reduction within a company. So doing that over time is sustainable, if you will, and frankly creates resilience, uh, especially if an organization has a good pandemic plan, which would be part of their management management system under emergency preparedness. They are better positioned to know what their risks are and managing those risks at the end of the day. Yeah, Kathy, I'm really glad that you brought up the transparency part of it and that it's the essential driver of sustainability is actually a, a quote that I pulled from the Center of Safety and Health Sustainability report that I was checking out before we did this interview. So I'm really glad that you brought up the transparency part of this and that companies as we've discussed, it's not required, but it gives the information to the stakeholders. And just all around transparency, I think, is one thing that we can all do a little bit better in most aspects of our lives. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up that quote because I'd, I'd already had it written down here. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, and when I think about when, the, when people do things like the Olympic, it's no longer you know a location. They no longer have to consider, can we get this built? It's how do we get this built where people are looking, you know, or the World Cup, people are questioning locations because, well, what type, what are you doing to the employees? What's their work condition? And like, those are other factors to where now other locations are like, well, if we can't do it right, we shouldn't even bid at all. And I can appreciate the positive effect it's had because it's making countries, businesses think outside of just the almighty dollar, that the, that the dollar should not be the ruling guiding factor in their business choices. I like that, Curtis. It reminds me also about the concept, uh, I like to sail. So the concept of wind in the sails, what's really driving all of this and transparency, Amber, is part of this. It's the markets. You know, even though this is voluntary, companies, and if you go out and just Google a corporate responsibility and name, you know, 15 different names, go out and you basically will find that majority of the larger companies have 
sustainability integrated or corporate responsibility reporting. Kind of to your point, Curtis, is that people are starting to understand, organizations are starting to understand that people do create value. And these trends that we've been talking about today really are highlighting, again, from a very macro business perspective and driving it down to, you know, health and safety and us being able to raise that bar to within and have those conversations in our organizations with our business leaders to help them understand what's coming at them. Because at the end of the day, they don't understand. They're thinking about non-financials and they're thinking about, back to Amber's first question, it's the environment. When in fact, and I think COVID's really going to, was the game changer on the value of people. But that concept of reporting and transparency comes right back to the market. And the market means the investors, the market means your customers, the market means you're the consumers, the general consumers, the market means reputational risk. Curtis, to your point, you know, about some of the contractors. And I think you referenced, um, you know, one of the soccer, large soccer events in the world that's being held. And, you know, there were some reputational issues and the world focused on that. And that's exactly what's happening with companies around the world trying to identify and manage their risks. So whether it's pandemic, whether it's in the Gulf of Mexico and Deep Horizon, whether it's uh, Chernobyl, whether it was way back when, which we all study in our books, in school, uh, Union Carbide with Bhopal, India, which was one of the first big crises, fuel incidents that literally went around the world um, in a very short period of time. So those market forces really are the wind and the sails that are creating this change. And the companies that get ahead of that curve are going to be the ones that are really going to create value for their organizations and specifically a competitive advantage. Their companies being chosen for the bid, right? Versus another company. And the forward thinking companies are starting to see that. You know, Kathy, you touched on it just a little bit there at the end, but I was going to say, you know, we're talking about essentially the health and, and well-being of the workers. And so other than increasing business performance or you know, pulling in bids or whatever. Are there other incentives out there for investing in the occupational safety and health? I'll just share a quick story. One of the companies that I've been working with for a while, the leader of that company, he's just been holding the vision, implementing integrated management systems, meaning safety, health, environment, looking at uh, maintenance, asset management. And it's like, I said, so what is your driver? Because he believes in safety. And he said, so here's the thing. I had to be at a funeral. Um, it was a funeral of one of the people that was working in my company. And he vowed, and he was there grieving with the family. And he vowed that under his watch, that would never happen again. So as he went up through the company, he always put the concept of safety right out there in front and that expectation. And so for him to be able to hold that vision of implementing these systems and processes that we're talking about, management systems for safety and health. For him, it just, it is the business. It makes business sense. It's embedded. It's that concept at the very beginning when we talked about, you know, people being at the core of every thriving business. This leader understood this at a level far greater than most. And so everything they did was aligned with safety. So safety was aligned with everything they did in terms of the business perspective. And that was his incentive. Companies that have an ethos, I mean, and you can't can't make this up, right? This has got to come from the, the leader. The leader sets the tone, the concept of, of creating a culture in which safety and health is embedded in that culture. We're not going to, in your work instructions, right? And you're going to work that printing press or you're going to work that lathe. You're not going to do it unless you have the proper guarding, unless you have the various controls such as personal protective equipment. 
eliminating all the hazards, which is the goal of safety, is to get rid of the hazards and reduce or eliminate the risk. I mean, that's the goal. And to do that, you have to have a culture that embeds that in the actual procedures, the work instructions that the person actually closest to those hazards and risks actually see and they're managing on their own and they don't even think twice. And the example I give you is the uh, seatbelt. So way back when in my parents' generation, nobody wore seatbelts. And it was in their generation that things started to transition. And, you know, there were a lot of folks in the United States that said, I'm not wearing seatbelts. You can't make me wear seatbelts. And I guess I'm here to tell you that my children would not even think twice about wearing a seatbelt. It's just like an automatic thing that happens. And that is when you know that your systems and your processes, that an organization is really, is really has safety embedded, safety and health of their workers actually embedded is when they can't even separate out, oh yeah, this is a safety thing we have to do. It's like, no, this is just how we do the business. This is, this is how we run that particular line. For me, it's, that's the answer. That's the goal. That's where we want to get to. But in order to do that, we've got to change some mental models in leadership and business. And the incentives are numerous. We talked about competitive advantage and we talk about the investment community, but we talk about people. We talk about making this real for the people working in the organizations and the whole concept of innovations, this whole change in going away from the militaristic top-down management to you know really looking at flatter org charts, if you will, and really getting this concept of teams and getting people, the creativity together, coming up with very innovative solutions uh, for problem solving. All of that comes from people. And at the end of the day, as I kind of come in full circle, at the end of the day, unless they're safe, healthy, and they have that sense of well-being, right? That happiness factor, Curtis, they're not going to give you that discretionary energy. They're going to come in, they're going to give you their, how many of our hours and they're done. They check out. It's a win-win for everyone. And at the end of the day, the other incentive here is the actual workforce, which is why it's so important that we talk about them as a stakeholder group, because they get to pick and choose the companies they want to work with. And if you're a company, whether you're based in the United States or you have operations around the world, in those countries, uh, developing countries, knowledge, skills, and abilities are minimal. And so each person that creates and gets to the level where they can really impact a company in terms of being a worker, they have the skill to do the job, they'll go to the next company if they're not being taken care of. And they'll do it from a financial perspective. And they're also will do it, especially as the middle class grows in various countries, they'll say, no, I would like to go and work for a company that I feel good about working for. I'm happy. And I have a sense of well-being. Definitely. And I, I really like that how we can tie this to other episodes we've had, especially on leadership, where it was stated that people don't leave a company, they leave their leaders. And so if those who are leading have that compassion and that that care for them, it makes all the sense in the world that if they feel safe, and that's really what it's about, it changes the entire mindset of everyone and obviously the safety and health. So thank you so much for being a champion for this. And it's been a real pleasure to learn more about this from your expertise. So we can't thank you enough for giving us those insights and, and your knowledge on this. So we really appreciate your time on this. It's my pleasure. It's really nice to talk with you too. 
We really want to thank Kathy for taking time to talk to us today about employee sustainability. And you know what? In today's market with things kind of in flux and jobs kind of coming and going, businesses need engaged workers to thrive right now. And workers, on the other hand, need those businesses that are thriving for good job opportunities. Having a business, having a company, being someone that takes a look and actually is concerned about employee sustainability is something I think that will help carry us through into the next chapter of all of our lives. Oh, for sure. And I really like her perspective that companies who don't care about this are going to be left behind because it's becoming the norm uh, that is we as a culture, it's becoming more understandable that we should be purchasing from companies that actually care about others, that they don't just care about the bottom line, that there are non-financial disclosures, you know, that there's just there's more than just financial numbers that people care about from a company. So definitely was a pleasure to talk to her. And we are grateful for you and listening to another episode of Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And to get started preventing injuries, uh, please visit our website, wellworkforce.com and click on the connect with us button. And remember, prevention improves lives. Thank you.